I was flipping through some papers and pulled out an envelope that said to be read after I die. It had everything written in it. What he wanted at his funeral, what songs he wanted played, what he wanted to wear, who to call. And I just thought, what a gift he just gave us. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant, certified caregiving educator, a support group leader, and I consult with caregivers to assist them to find ways to ease the difficult issues that arise with dementia care in ways that work for them. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support, and we might even share a laugh or two, because, well, we all know laughter's the best medicine. Yes, we do. And don't forget the wine, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a few guests that, like you, are certified caregiving consultants and educators. And I'm constantly amazed when we talk to them uh, about the stories and unique approaches that are shared. Absolutely. Everybody, as we know, everybody in the world has a story to tell. And people in dementia care definitely have have stories to tell. And when I was on a panel with Jennifer not too long ago, along with her and uh, Denise Brown of Caregiving Years Academy, um, she started telling us her story and I was absolutely fascinated with it. And I knew that our listeners would be as well. So I am very happy to... Um, have Jennifer as our guest. Um, She has over 10 years of personal caregiving experience caring for her parents and grandfather. She has dealt with caregiving issues related to veterans, organ transplants, in-home caregiving, assisted living, and hospice. Professionally, she is a certified life coach as well as a certified caregiving consultant, certified caregiving educator, and certified support group facilitator. We are very pleased to welcome Jennifer Ritchie. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. And like I said in the beginning, um, the story of your caregiving and what was going on in your life at that time was something that indicates that there's so much more going on in a caregiver's life than people may think. And when they're, you know, I know that when I left my corporate job to take care of dads, my people said to me, what are you going to do all day? And... (laughs) They, oh, they saw boy. me, you know, you know, watching Oprah and maybe eating some chocolates and drinking some of that wine we talked about. But there's a lot more to life than that. So um, I really would like it if you would, would share with Mike and our listeners where you were at that time. Yeah, absolutely. It really, you know, I've, I've had like many years, like you said, but really the dementia care and the hardest year started in 2020. In, uh, well, in 2019, I was, um, you know, my partner and I um, were given the opportunity to foster a baby, and he's our great nephew. And so we thought that would be like a six month commitment, and um, we're about to adopt him, and he's two and a half now. So, that started on in about February 2019, and we had just started renovating our home to move my mom in. She was, my, mom, my dad had died in 2015. Um, she was lonely. She was only four miles away, um, and she was really still pretty independent, but really lonely, and it was on the verge of her needing a lot more help. And so we decided 
let's just all do this together. Um, and so we, we moved her in. Uh, we moved in uh, the week before Thanksgiving in 2019 and then hosted Thanksgiving because we're crazy. And, <laughs> uh, you know, our, our house is still sort of under construction. And so we had my mom who um, was in cognitive decline and I really was in a lot of denial about it. Um, and a one-year-old, and so um, neither of which we have had dealt with, and um, slowly my mom is declining, and and my son is is thriving, and it was a really interesting sort of circle of life moment. Um, but that year, the year of 2020, was pretty much all caregiving for both of them, and you know, as my mom. Um, sort of declined more in her mobility. She became bedbound and um, so then needed total care all the time. And that was a challenge I never thought we would be taking on. Um, and with the decline in her cognitive ability, I really just thought she just needs a good night's sleep. She, she needs to take her medication on time, you know. I was just in a lot of denial about it. And so I, would, I fought with it. I fought with her. I fought with all of it. And it really, it, w it wasn't a good situation. And I finally had to get a hold of myself and say, what is going on here? Like, you need to, you know, you need to be the adult here and, and handle this. So, so that's what I did. And it's not, it's, not, it's not fun being the adult. No, no. And we expected her to be with us for years. I mean, we wouldn't have you know, done this huge renovation had we not. And, um, and then she ended up dying on December 22nd of the same year, 2020, not of COVID. Um, and so that was, that was a surprise. And like I talked about in the panel, I had a lot of conflicting feelings when she died. I was, um, I had a lot of relief and a lot of guilt about that relief. And, didn't even cry for a couple days, but I had spent all of 2020 crying. It was just, I, I really think I grieved her the entire year. Um, so, so that's, that's a very nutshell version of it. So Jennifer, you happened to mention guilt and yeah. I saw on your, and caregiver guilt is very, very real as yes. we all know. And one of the things I saw on your um, blog is, and being a life coach, you talked about you have to let go of the guilt. How how can somebody do that? And and that's a tough question. It is a tough question. You know, I rem I know the blog you're talking about too, where you know my grandfather had fallen, we weren't home, he laid on the floor for a couple of hours, and the guilt for that was just God. I should have been there. I should have. And then I just really took a minute and thought, okay, even if I was there, this could have happened. Would he have been laying on the floor? No. But, you know, he should have had his phone in his pocket. He didn't. He knew he should have. You know, like all of the things that we had set up, um, we had done everything we could. And really, like I had to, I had to separate myself from that. Like this happened. Okay, he's fine. Um, could it have been worse? Absolutely. But um, I just had to take a step back and realize that the guilt was not serving me. It wasn't making the situation go away. 
he was he was okay. Um, but it is, it's a tough question. And it's a tough thing for caregivers to do. Well, caregivers, like most people, find a way to blame themselves yes. when something goes wrong. Absolutely. And try to control, which is absolutely uncontrollable. Um, part of my consulting and part of my uh, mentoring caregivers is to you know, let them know there's going to be guilt because we cannot anticipate every single situation that's going to occur. And hearing, oh, you shouldn't feel guilty. You know, I had a neighbor that said guilt is a useless emotion. Don't feel it. Well, yeah, you feel it. Yeah. Um, so I say, go ahead, feel it, wallow in it, and move on and do the best you can yes. the next day because that's all we can ask for ourselves. But when you talked about um, finding uh, your grandfather, is that who it was? Yeah, yeah. On the floor, mm -hmm. we walked into that situation Oh. <laughs> uh, with Mike's dad, it was it was the last time we left him alone in the house. Oh. We had gone to church. We came. We went to dinner. And we came home, and he was laying on the floor, um, at, very near the stairwell on the second floor. And Mike, you want to finish this story? Well, just uh, to to go back about ten seconds, when we walked in the door, and the garage door is right by the kitchen, and he hadn't eaten dinner, and. You could set the watch by my dad eating dinner, right? Kind of like Rain Man. Yes. You had to have dinner at such and such time. And we walked in and his dinner wasn't touched. So we both looked at each other and I went to go upstairs and he was laying at the very top of the staircase on the floor. And I got to the, uh, got halfway up and I said, dad, dad, are you okay? He said, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> I said, What's a, what are you doing? You're on the floor. What's the matter? He said, oh, he says, I'm okay. He says, I was, um, I came out and I got a little, little dizzy. My, I, I couldn't catch my breath and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. So I laid down oh. so I wouldn't hurt myself when I died. Oh my goodness. So, wow. so some of his cognitive things right there, right? I laid down so I wouldn't get hurt when I fell over when I died. Wow. And of course he was okay. It was just that he got winded. So helped him downstairs. But he just laid there waiting to die because he thought that's what was going to happen. Wow. Yeah. How do you not have guilt? Jeez. <laughs> but, right. But again, that's one of the memories yeah. way after the fact that you can look back on and kind of smile and think, that was that was a moment that was very precious in Absolutely. a way. He, yeah, and he worked out a way in his own mind to spare himself pain. Yes. I'm going to assume that your your dad was of the uh the greatest generation who um my grandfather was as well and he um he would he would do anything like that to unburden everyone else. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the triumvirate of caregiving, denial, relief, and guilt. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that that feeling of relief when the caregiving was over. Yes. Um, I know that we felt it, and we know that Roger felt it when his mother died. And it's an issue that comes up a lot with caregivers. You know, I wish it would just end. I wish it would just end. And... 
try to reassure them. It's not that you're wishing for the person to die. You're wishing for the pain to end. Yes. And you're wishing for them to be relieved of all of this fear and confusion and pain. Especially with dementia, because you know that they're confused and this isn't the life that they would want to be living, you know? And I remember, and I think I shared this with you, Bobby, like maybe two weeks before my mom died, we had just had such a rough moment and I, I was just so upset and I went in the bathroom and just cried and talked to my dad and said, please come and take her. She's, she needs to go. And it wasn't that I wanted her gone. It was that this was so hard and so hard for her. She was so confused. She didn't know where she was. She was seeing him in the room with her. And I just thought, oh, this, this has to end, you know, and, and it did. So, um, but I talk about guilt, you know, I thought, did I do this? So, you know, of course <laughs> not, <laughs> but, um, but then, but that is kind of like Mike said, it's kind of like a memory, like, okay, maybe my dad had something to do with keeping her out of pain, you know? I kind of like to think that, so. He, he, he protected her till her end. Yes, yes. Absolutely. One, one of the things I, I read also was the story of the Valentine's Day call. Yes. Would you like to share that? So after my dad died, we had, we had such an amazing group of people around us, um, and one of the women who we didn't really even know very well, she was she was just sort of a, a distant friend, and but she had come in at the very end and helped my dad in his transition. She she was a nurse and um, had been there really at the end, and she promised my mom. She said the first year is going to be the hardest, and she promised my mom that she would call her on Valentine's Day and that she would call me on Father's Day, and she did. And I didn't think she, you know, I thought these are things people say and then they don't follow through. And she did. And it was so touching. And my mom was so really surprised because, again, I think she didn't expect it either. And she followed through on Father's Day. And, you know, it was these little things that we can do for people are just amazing. Well, I've I've had an experience similar. Um, I had an uncle, a very dear uncle. And Somewhere in the past, there was a falling out with him and his son and his son's children. And he said to me at his wife's funeral, he says, you know, and his son didn't go. And he says, you know, I don't know what I did, but my son never calls. I call him, he never answers. And I looked at him, I says, you know what? He won't call you, I will. And I made it a point to call him every two weeks. And I could hear in his voice the appreciation and how much he felt good that somebody remembered the old guy. And, and so to any of our listeners, you heard it from Jennifer, you heard it from me, if you can make that call to somebody in your family to just let them know that you care, and it was never a very long call, it was maybe eight to 10 minutes um, to, to enlighten somebody's life or to make their day, do it. Oh, I love that story. You know, Jennifer, you, you support so many different communities within the caregiving world. 
Yeah. Um, and, and a huge one has to be the veterans. Yes. Uh, just as more and more people are diagnosed with some form of dementia mm-hmm. every 66 seconds, our veterans are filling up the VA hospitals and, you know, coming back from war and mm-hmm. dealing with PTSD and their families are very much involved in caregiving. Yeah. And we don't want to leave those out when we talk about caregiving. Um, how did you get into that? Well, um, my father was in the Navy um, in the Vietnam War, and um, he he was exposed to Agent Orange, and that began his mystery illness. Um, he They thought it was congestive heart failure. They thought it was... Uh, lung cancer. I mean, it, the number of things that went on, he just had these mystery symptoms. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, finally, they figured out that it was his kidney. And he, he needed a kidney transplant. And this was after years and years of him being on and off dialysis. And people don't typically go off dialysis once they start. Um, and so he finally, after we had living donors that fell through, we had a couple um, calls to get him to the hospital because he was at the top of the list. He had waited forever. And um, we finally got a donor. And then um, that was in July of 2015. And he was never well after that. We, we thought he would be well. You get a kidney. You're, you know, other than the immunosuppressant drugs and, you know, taking care of that. We thought he would be well, and he never was. He had infection after infection and finally got a fungal infection in his lungs, and which ultimately killed him. And he died six months later. And so that immediately made me really aware of, of that. I mean, that was years ago that Agent Orange was used, but it made me start doing some research. And then my grandfather was a World War II pilot, and um, we... He would tell us, you know, all about that, but he never talked about the war. And, um, but we got him flying a plane on his 95th birthday. I mean, we oh, really, wow. oh, wow. Yeah. He, he had a, a plane years ago and, you know, he's like, it's like riding a bike. And so we, we, we have some great friends and we hooked it up where he got in, um, a little private plane with an instructor just in case. And, and he flew the whole way. Um, I think the instructor said, he just had to help him on the way down. But that was a a thrill for us. Um, And then I have, you know, my nephew is in the army right now, probably being deployed um, soon. And so it's, I never considered us a military family, but, but we really are. And I've been definitely touched by it. And um, there are a lot of benefits that people don't know about. And I realized that when I was helping my grandfather, you know, there's, there's, aid and attendance benefits that people can get for caregiving. And we didn't know about that until it was too late, really. So I like to at least, you know, it's certainly not my number one focus of my support, but I absolutely welcome it and will do research and help people find those supports because it's so important. And it's not known, you know, they're just not well known. So, Well, there's definitely some crossover too. We, you have the PTSD from being in in the war, and then you have traumatic brain injury, which yes. can cause a dementia. Yes. So um, there's there's a lot of crossover within the two worlds, oh, um, yeah. and I'm sure everybody in both worlds appreciates yeah, what yeah. you do and how you help them find the resources. Mm-hmm. 
One of the things that caregivers for somebody with dementia often don't recognize is they often have post-traumatic stress during and after their caregiving years. And I didn't realize it until after, you know, even months after, that that was part of what had impacted me. Um, During that time, I had migraines, I had panic attacks, um, my hair was falling out. I mean, you're not sleeping, you're hypervigilant, you're constantly um, responding to emergencies. Now, certainly we're not being, we're not under fire physically. Nobody's gonna shoot us. Sure. But there is, there is long-term stress that has an impact on the caregiver that they're not aware of at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, sometimes that stress ends up with the caregiver dying before the person in care. Mm. Um, yeah. Which makes these support groups that that are available, that, that you lead and that, and that I facilitate, more and more important. But a big part of... of you know, offsetting that or preventing that is to educate people before they step into this world as to how long it can take, how difficult it's going to be, and how much you need support and help through the process. I keep trying to reach out to people who don't realize how close they are in their life journey to having to do this and to start preparing now and being educated. Yeah, we do that with the family emergency plan, you know, with Denise Brown too, with the expectant caregiver, like let's get stuff ready just in case. I mean, every family can can do that. But, you know, talking about trauma, my first experience with post-traumatic stress, and I didn't realize it at the time, was when, you know, my dad, they had done surgery to try and get this fungus out of his chest and the surgeon came out and said, we can't save him. And so I had to tell him that basically he was dying and we needed to take him home. And that conversation ran through my head for probably three months all the time. It was just constant and it was, it haunted me. And it wasn't until I went to a therapist and she said, that's trauma. You've, you've had trauma there. And, and it was like, what? Oh, okay. And it just sort of calmed me down about it. Like this is, this is a normal response and to a crazy situation and, um, and, you know, it eventually goes away. Um, and then just like you in this situation with my mom, my hair's falling out. I'm still recovering from that. The sleep, the lack of sleep, the, you know, your nervous system is just over, you know, like, I don't know, just wrecked and, uh, constantly on edge. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Preparing people, um, and sometimes people just don't want to hear about it yet because they don't they don't think it's going to be part of their lives, you know. Or but, or they're just living in denial and they don't want it to be completely. Part of their lives. Yeah. 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 I, I know she's had the uh, conversation with our daughter, mm. and our daughter said, "Well, uh, I'll let my friends know, but it's not going to happen to you." And you know, the fact of the matter is, we're all fine until we're not, and we don't know when that or not is coming yeah. or how it's coming. Yeah. And frankly, when you walk into it not knowing what to expect, 
you do what I did. I made every mistake a caregiver could possibly make because I didn't know better. Yep. And that's why I do what we do now in the various forms that we do mm-hmm. to help people understand that it's, you know, when Mike's, Mike's mom passed away and people started asking what's going to happen to his dad because clearly he wasn't able to live on his own, we knew we wanted to bring him to live with us. And I remember saying, there are going to be days when it's going to be difficult, but we've got this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it made as much sense as the people asking what I was going to do all day. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. You just don't know. Yeah. I thought when, when we moved my mom in that it was going to make it easier. <laughs> and and I tell people, if you had issues with your parents before, they're just amplified when they're living with you, you know. And uh, And I did everything wrong, too. I would argue with her reality. She would see things and I'd be like, no, mom, you're but you need to sleep, you know? And she was seeing that. That was her reality. And I didn't realize at the time that I just needed to go with it and like step into her reality. Um, And that was one of the first things I learned right after she died. And I just, oh gosh, what I would have done differently, you know? Yep. You know, so often caregivers, you know, who are doing it now say they would never, never want their family members to do it for them. Um, They're Mm -hmm. making arrangements for, you know, going into a care home. Um, I have always said I would do it again in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't make the same mistakes, but I'd make different ones. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's such a great way to look at it. I know. I think about like, do I have regrets? Well, yeah, I have regrets, but I, that's not serving me to think that. And you know what? I did it the way I was supposed to do it. And if I can help somebody else do it better, that's exactly that means everything, you know. Well, you know, to, to, to piggyback on that, do I have some regrets? Sure. There are things that I think, well, I know I could have done better. But the fact that we did this and the enrichment that it brought to our lives, yeah. to mine, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, you can't buy that. Yes. You, 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 you can't get on Amazon or eBay yep. and you can't buy that enrichment. Yeah. And the other thing is that they have many more good days than they would have had otherwise. Yes. Absolutely. You know, having my son, Alex, with her in her decline was, I mean, it made it the joy he brought us sort of offset to the rough time. And she got to see me be a mom, you know, she never would have had that experience. And she got so much joy from him that had we, you know, I say, well, would we have done it if we had only known it was been a year, it would have been a year. Well, yeah, I think we would have because she wouldn't have gotten to see him every day and all of his little, you know, learning and, she said to me many times, like, you need to teach him manners and you need to tell him about me when I'm gone. And like, I remember all that stuff now as we're, as we're raising him. So I, that's precious to me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we had talked um, about preparing, yes. right? The expecting caregiver. Yeah. Um, what would be your recommendations for our listeners on preparing to care? What, what do they need to do? Um, I think the first thing is to start the conversation. Um, I think so many people don't want to talk about it. And 
um, I'll, I'll tell you just a really brief story. You know, when my grandfather died, we didn't know what he, we didn't really know what he wanted in his funeral or anything. And I was talking to my mom at the time, flipping through some papers and pulled out an envelope that said to be read after I die. And I had seen this before, but it didn't, you know, mean anything at the time. And so I gave it to my mom and it had everything written in it, what he wanted at his funeral, what songs he wanted played, what he wanted to wear, who to call, who to... And I just thought, what a gift he just gave us. And so when I talk to people about preparing and they say, well, my parents don't want to talk to me. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. I tell them, have them write it down and put it in an envelope and seal it and put it in a safe place because then you know it's there when they're ready. And um, so if they can't start a conversation, I always suggest that. But if we can keep those, those lines of communication open, this is what I want. It makes knowing, you know, when you know the wishes of your parents or whoever you're taking care of, um, it makes it so much easier and the decisions are easier to make because it's so hard as a caregiver to make decisions. You don't know if you're doing the right thing. But when you, when you know that you're, you know, honoring the wishes of your carry, it helps a lot. Well, Jennifer, it's been quite a half hour. <laughs> um, you've been absolutely, you've, you've been an absolute joy to have on this show. Oh, I certainly you. appreciate you coming on board. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I, I loved being here. It seems like we, we always cover so much in a short period of time. And, you know, having a talk about denial and relief and guilt and PTSD and planning, and, you know, it's, as you just said not too long ago, Mike, we learn every time. And Jennifer, I'm sure, is aware of it as well. Um, even those of us who are out there teaching others continue to learn yes. from one another. And there's joy in it. There's joy in it. And I remember thinking well afterwards that Roger was the greatest teacher I ever had. Um, because of him, I do what I do now. I think Jennifer's last comment about if you're having a hard time getting that difficult conversation started and just about everybody has a hard time getting that difficult conversation started the recommendation of, you know, write it down, putting in an envelope. I think that's absolutely brilliant that it, it takes that burden, that burden away of having that conversation, but then also here's the plan, here's what I want done, and you can honor those wishes. I think that's absolutely brilliant. So when are you going to start writing, Mike? Oh, got everything. <laughs> got everything, almost started <laughs> i'm thinking about it <laughs> there you go <laughs> well you know as you advise you should do so we got to take our own our own advice and jennifer's advice yes you can find more information about jennifer on our show website at roger show this has been roger that i'm bobby and i'm mike and we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia so please subscribe to the show Go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. 
Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.